Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Bumps and Thumps, a talk of wrestling. I'm your host, Brian Ferguson. It is Friday, August 7th, 2020. Today, we are continuing our conversation with the high flyer, Greg Gagne. If not listened to our previous podcast, you are missing a real treat. Greg, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to I have you. Go ahead. Maybe I'm, sorry. I'm just the only guy you can get. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I just, our last conversation was so great and we get, you know, you were spending some time with your family, so we had to cut it short and I was glad I, I was able to reach out to you and you were wanting to come back. So I really appreciate it. Well, I have uh, just my daughter's little dog here with me now. So we got all kinds of time. All right. So we'll, we'll do a quick overview of the last time. We previously talked about how you grew up, your experiences going through your father's wrestling camp your travel experiences, and chemistry with other wrestlers. We also learned, this was a surprise to me, about the wrestlers your dad had trained, such as Blackjack, Mulligan, and Lanza, the Anderson uh, brothers, Gene Oley, and then Lars, and uh, how you got people to get their personalities out of them when they were on the mic or in the ring. Uh, a specific example that I remember you giving was with Kurt Henning. Mm-hmm. So that was great. I uh, really appreciate it. Now, if we could, I want to talk about some of the jobbers that you worked with, some of the guys that were the, the mid-card or early-card guys that were, were well-known. Uh, but if you could want to talk about some of the guys you, you preferred working with. Well, some of them were better known than us because they were on every week. <laughs> <laughs> the two guys that stick out are George Scrapiron Kadaski and Kenny J, Kenny Sodbuster J. Yeah. Um, I, they were interesting, interesting individuals. Uh, Kenny originally came out of the Navy and he wrestled overseas in Europe for a long time and he did really well over there. But then when he came to the States, he didn't quite have the, um, the American uh, freestyle mm-hmm. down as well as he did the European. And um, he wasn't very successful here, wow. but he was always there and he was every week he was on TV and he was challenging anybody he could. Uh, he, he, he wanted to knock off one of the stars and, and uh, become a star of his own, which he was in his own right. 
a great guy, a great individual. Um, and then we had George Scrapiron Kadaski. He wrestled uh, in Montana for a, a long time for a small, a small organization. And um, he was really good. He just was, um, you know, I hate to say he was a little small. They said I was a little small too, mm -hmm. but I think I had, I had learned more technique and more, um, had more holds, more counter holds and everything else that Vernon taught us. Yeah. And I had a little bit better background in training than, than George did. Right. But George was another trooper. And um, he, uh, he also hauled the ring and refereed. So he, he was a referee, a wrestler, and, and hauled the ring. And the guy was phenomenal. He never missed a card. Wow. He uh, one time was going to Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, Bill Watts was on the card and they're in there and the ring's not there yet. And the matches are going to start. And here uh, they had a snowstorm and George had gone off the road. Oh. Got stuck, finally got the vehicle out. And he got there just before the matches started, about 15 minutes before, we got a crew together and got the ring up in time to, for them to start about 15 minutes late. But, uh, he was a trooper. I'll tell you a funny story about him. We're on live TV and he's wrestling Mad Dog Vachon. <laughs> and George had a had a plate, had his teeth knocked out. Oh no. Yeah. So the match gets going and Mad Dog hits George with a big open hand and knocked George right to his knees, but George's teeth, his plate flew out onto the onto the ring. You know how Mad Dog used to do that jump in the ring? Yeah. Mad Dog didn't, no, no, no. He hit him, hit him so hard, knocked the teeth out, and Mad Dog's doing his jump. And George's on his hands and knees, and he's crawling around trying to grab the teeth. And every time he grabbed them, the Mad Dog was jumping, they would pop up in the air. Well, Tom Scott was the director from uh, Channel 11, WTCN in Minneapolis. He fell off his chair. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> It was the damnedest thing I'd ever seen. He finally got the teeth and put them back in. <laughs> got his ass beat, but he, he was quite a, quite an individual. Oh, that's, and then that's... we had a group from Milwaukee that came over, Frankie DeFalco, Tom Stone, Jake Milliman. Yeah. Uh, those three became, super, became stars in their own right, too. Great guys, you know. Those guys are really troopers, and those were the guys that, you know, helped make us, Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, they were never going to be successful uh, outside of, you know, being on TV as main event wrestlers or even sometimes they get on the underneath card. But George and Kenny J every year in Minneapolis, um, they had every year that it was uh, the loser trophy. Whoever won the match got the trophy. And we all went out to watch it every year. They just beat the crap out of each other. They wanted that trophy so bad. <laughs> the loser trophy. So uh, they interesting were, one. They, they, those five people I just named were really uh, phenomenal guys. Really, really good. Yeah, I remember them as a kid. Every week, usually they were on TV wrestling one of the you know the, the big names in your, yeah. in your territory. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, if we can, talk about your, some of the upcoming talent you guys had in the, uh, in the 80s and late 80s. Uh, 
You know, we talk about the destruction crew, Wayne Bloom and, and Mike Oh, Enos. those were, they were great guys. They were trained by Brad Ringens and uh, uh, Brad went through my father's camp mm-hmm. and wrestled professionally for quite a while. Yeah. Um, was an excellent, he was uh, wrestled on the Olympic team. Uh, Brad just never really got the, um, the feel for the pro style, but yeah. uh, was very, very, uh, very instrumental and and very meant a lot to the AWA because he helped. We were on the road and he trained a lot of people for us and he was really good. And he ran the camp just the way Vern ran it. Bloom and Enos will tell you the way they went through it. The nasty boys went through it. Um, Big Van Vader. He was a treat. I met him in Denver, Colorado one night after one of the matches, him and his agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leon White was his real name, and he right. he played uh, football for the Los Angeles Rams and for the Colorado Buffaloes in college. Oh wow! And he was about three hundred and forty pounds. And they, they, after matches, we're at the hotel, and this guy comes up to me. He's the agent for Van Vader, and he said uh, he wants to be a professional wrestler. Yeah. And uh, they sat down at my desk. He's telling me all the people he beat up in the bars and that. And I said, well, you know. <laughs> That's great, but you're getting into a sport that um, probably right now, if you went in there, everybody's going to kick your ass. <laughs> I said, there isn't, you're, I said, you know, you're 340 and I'm, I'm 210, 211. And I said, you couldn't beat me. And so he said, well, I want to try out. So he went out to the camp at Brad Ringens and in the first half hour, <laughs> Brad had uh, Mr. White in tears. <laughs> <laughs> um, nasty boys the same way. They'll tell you how hard that camp was. And then, of course, Billy Robinson helped out. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy helped train our group. And uh, Billy was great at the submission holds. And he would, uh, he would do an hour with us after um, we finished the camp. Yeah. Our, our last hour in the camp was submission wrestling and he'd go out and he'd the nasty boys will tell you he had, he had his foot up their up their ass and their arm twisted up around their neck and they were screaming and, and uh, it was uh it was the hardest camp that those guys had ever been through or ever even thought of going through and then bloom and Edis were both uh, wayne was phenomenal strength i mean this guy you would look at him he was about 6'2", maybe 6'3", uh, 215 to 220 pounds. Yeah. But he looked lean. Yeah, he did. He was so damn strong. He had double tendons. He said, uh, um, weight, uh, deadlifting, uh, um, for deadlifting, he set the records for that. And one night they're in a bar downtown. It was called uh, Stand Up Frank's. And, it, and the floor kind of sloped and it was kind of a, a biker bar. Oh, yeah. and they were in there. There's a bunch of these bikers in there. And, um, anyhow, they got into it a little bit. And this one big guy, he weighed about 310, 315. We started to try to push Wayne around and Wayne grabbed him by the neck with one hand and shoved him right up the wall and held him there and almost, wow. killed, almost killed the guy. Jeez. Uh, Wayne also, he, he, he was so strong. He'd go, he could pick up the back end of a car. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, he did that a couple times on TV for us. He was unbelievable. And Enos was just, they were, they were really good guys and good performers. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we folded up here, they ended up in New York and wrestled yeah. up there and they, they did a good job. Yeah, I didn't care for the, the Beverly Brothers gimmick, but, you know. No, no they, were, they were the destruction crew. Yeah, they were. They, they were. They, they, they destroyed people. Yeah. And uh, the Nasty Boys, the same thing. They ended up going up to New York, and they, yeah. they became very successful up there. But yeah. uh, my sister Donna actually gave them their name. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They wanted a name for their tag team, and, and they're, uh, they're very crude and she went out with them a couple of times. Was, you guys are just nasty. You're the nasty boys. And that's how they got the name. Got it. Wow. How about the Midnight Rockers uh, when Marty Jannetty and, and Shawn Michaels were there? Well, uh, they, were, they were quite a pair. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, Shawn Michaels sent us a tape. Uh, Jose Lothario had uh, trained him down in, uh, in Texas. In mm -hmm. San Antonio, and Marty Janetti had sent me up a tape of him from um, he was in Kansas City at the time, wrestling for Geigel. Okay, and they were just both getting started, mm -hmm. but they had a look, and I said, "Jesus, you know, we're we're looking for a a new young tag team," mm -hmm. and I said, "I think we can put these two guys together, and they'll be pretty good." Yeah. Well, they needed they needed some help and some work, mm -hmm. uh, but together they were really they turned out to be really good, and you know. Yeah, uh, he had a few problems and sort of Sean earlier in their careers mm -hmm. and um, they were hard to handle, <laughs> got in a lot of trouble, yeah. uh, but you know, they ended up uh, in New York Yeah, and other two, I mean, Sean had more talent mm -hmm. and ended up, uh, you know, the rest was history for him. Right. And he kind of fell to the wayside. He never really straightened himself out and he had, yeah, you know. <laughs> He he came out with a thing on Facebook the other day that Janetti uh, did. Janetti, yeah, he said. It, it, I think it's a little. I know he's had some issues in the past, but he claims now it was taken down that when he was 13 years old, he worked at some bowling alley in in Columbus, Georgia, and uh, a man that he was buying uh, marijuana from. Uh, tried to sexually assault him, and he said that he took care of him and threw him in the Chattahoochee River, and nobody ever found him. And oh, I know he's made some off-the-wall statements in the past, <laughs> but, I, I mean, actually now the uh, yeah. police down there are taking it pretty serious. They're starting to investigate, but oh, it was man. taken down. I mean, but it's been on uh, some of the news and and it was spreading like wildfire but yeah so i didn't know if well you know that or not. Yeah. up here to me deep down he was really a he was a good kid yeah he, he just had he had some issues and mm -hmm. and uh you know um he never really grew up yeah you know into the business and became a professional you know yeah. uh it was always uh party time for him and it was for Sean too for quite a while until he kind of woke up in New York. I mean, they kind of gave him the ultimatum. Yeah. You know, you have a lot of talent, but uh, if you can't shape up and be a professional yeah. and act like one, uh, we can't can't continue with you. Yeah. Vince brought him in his office and sat him down and yeah. straightened him out. 
Yeah, he, he was he was very good in the ring. And, you know, Marty, I think, like you said, he could have had the talent. He had the talent. He just didn't yeah. have the the will, I guess, to do well, it. The will, he just, yeah. He, Mental will. And you don't know. I mean, if he went through something like that when he was young, I could uh, <laughs> see why he was. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. I mean, that was just an off the wall statement. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. him. I mean, he, they were great in the ring together. I remember that boy yeah. when well, they, they were the were. midnight rockers and yeah, their matches with playboy boy yeah. Rose and Doug Summers. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, they really were. All right. Well, we're going to move on to managers. We've discussed a little bit about Bobby Heenan and what a great, probably the best manager of all time, at least in my Without mind. a doubt. Bar none. Yeah, how about Lord Alfred Hayes? Lord Alfred was he was, I you know somebody was asking me the other day about managers and I said, well, Bobby Heenan far and above. Um, I introduced uh, they gave him an award. I went down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina for a big event called the Gathering, mm -hmm. and they had a, huge crowds there, and they wanted me to present uh, Bobby Heenan's wife Cindy with an award uh, for achievement. And Jim Cornette was there and uh, Jimmy Hart and a couple other managers. And uh, when I spoke, I said, I'm not trying to insult any of you other managers out there, but there was nobody, nobody that did what Bobby Heenan did yeah. for professional wrestling. Uh, Cornette was a great talker, yeah. but Heenan, the one thing about Heenan which put him far and above all the other ones was that, you know, they had Lou Obano and Jimmy Hart and in uh, Cornette, you got Paul Heyman now, but they couldn't do what Heenan did. No. He had an ability to take uh, um, a piece of talent yeah. and make him a star. And he, he was able to, bring that his his guy he was managing to a level of main event mm -hmm. but he also made the opponent that that guy was wrestling yes and he got himself over with the people and then when he had to get in the ring i mean we talk about him within the business with you know flair brunzel myself and mm -hmm other people and he was probably one of the top five performers in the ring yeah i mean he he gave the he knew what the people wanted what they expected out of him and he gave it to him he was a good uh reader of the crowd i i he was unbelievable and he and he was no different than what you saw on tv he was yeah. the same outside i mean this guy was <laughs> he you know, he's taking Nick Bockwinkel and Ray Stevens to Japan. Yeah. And I think we can tell this on podcast. Sure. So they get business class. So what Bobby would do, they would get to the, the airport, and then Ray and Nick would put Bobby in a wheelchair and wheel him down to the gate. So then Bobby would end up getting him into first class. And... Um, they would get him, get him out of the wheelchair, and then he would walk. He, the way he'd get into first class, he'd walk up to get into the, into, he'd be in a first one on the plane. Yeah. And Nick or Ray would push him down. 
So he'd get out of the chair and he'd walk onto the plane and he would greet the, as he's stepping in, he would trip himself and do a flip into the airplane on his back. And of course the pilots would come flying out of the cockpit and the flight attendants and they'd pick on, oh, my back, my back, my back. Well, what can we do for you? Well, I need my, my, my friends, he'd usually get Ray up there with him. He couldn't get both of them. I need a bigger seat. I think I need to be up in first class. So he'd get first class, but then he'd get all the drinks for free. <laughs> yeah. and, and Ray would drink a lot. Nick didn't. So yeah. Sometimes he'd leave Nick in the, in the business class, but most of the time they got, he got both of all three of them in first uh -huh. class. And then him and Ray would get absolutely blasted. So he gets on the plane and they're flying to Tokyo. And the plane is full of Japanese people going back home. Mm -hmm. And now he's done his thing. He's done his fall. He's in first class. He's had a few drinks. And he calls the flight attendant over and he says, he's got a newspaper. He said, now, it's very important that myself and my guys eat. You know, we've got big matches coming up in Japan and we have to get there and we have to be ready. Yeah. So if we're sleeping or something, would you just, you know, put the food here or wake us up, whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. So then he'd put his tray down and he'd put his newspaper over his lap. And the flight attendant, he'd be, he'd be sleeping. Ray would be sleeping. Nick would be sleeping. She'd wake him up and, and she lift the tray up and she pulled the newspaper off Bobby's lap and he'd have his zipper open and he'd have his Johnson hanging out. <laughs> and she let out the scream and then he'd go, Oh, oh, oh man. Oh, geez. I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know how that happened. So then he would, he would, he would eat and he'd, before they were landing in Japan then, or in Tokyo, he would call the flight and he said, you know, I just can't, I want to apologize. I don't know how that happened. I'm just so embarrassed. And, uh, but could you do me a favor? And she said, what's that? She said, well, I've got a good friend of mine in the back of the plane, Mr. Oki Chimpo, and it's his birthday. Would you mind on the speaker wishing him a happy birthday? Oh, no, I'll do that for you, Mr. Heenan. So she goes up and she says, Mr. Bob Heenan uh, is with his, with Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens here, you know, and the people kind of clap. And she said, Bobby would like to wish his good friend, Mr. Oki Chimpo, a happy birthday. And all the Japanese women and men were laughing their butts off. Oki Chimpo meant, meant big cock. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so... <laughs> And she didn't know what was going on. And then yeah. he, would, he would thank her for everything and get back off the plane. Oh, but he was, he was constantly, constantly. You didn't know what was going to happen every time you got on the plane or where you were going. Oh. Denver, Colorado, we'd wrestle on Friday nights. And then we'd have to get the early flight out in the morning, mm -hmm. get back to Minneapolis. We had to tape our TV show for either Saturday night or Sunday morning yeah. uh, in Minneapolis and then wherever else it was syndicated, you know, from mm -hmm. Minneapolis all the way across the country. Right. And um, then we'd have to get on a flight to Chicago or Milwaukee or whatever was going Saturday night. Mm -hmm. So it was a breakfast flight. So of course he'd get on the flight early with either Lance or Duncan or Bachwinkle and Stevens, whoever he was managing. Yeah. But there he'd sit in the back of the plane and it was a breakfast flight. It was an hour and 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So when he'd get on, he'd get on early, he'd go to the bathroom, his guys would go to the bathroom, and then he had a little thing that he could lock the doors with. Oh. 
he'd stick it in and he'd lock the doors. So you get up in the air and all of a sudden, you know, we'd be, you'd be sleeping and somebody would bump your arm and you'd see this line of people in the aisle waiting to get into the bathrooms. So then they told everybody to sit down that, you know, I'm going to serve breakfast. So everybody sits down and when the flight attendant gets just past their seats, those guys would get up and go back to the bathroom if they had to go. Yeah. And then he would lock the doors again. So the, the toilets were occupied for an hour and 45 minutes or however long we were on the plane. And after breakfast, the line was down there and nobody can get into the bathroom. Well, when we land in Minneapolis, of course, they tell everybody to sit back down. These people would run off that plane. <laughs> and he did it once a month, every, every Saturday morning that we were flying from Denver. Every trip. <laughs> Oh, I mean, he, just, he would just screw with people all the yeah. time and he'd get guys fighting each other. Oh my God. He could stir it up. Instigator. He was, <laughs> uh, you know, him and I, and, and Cornette agreed with me and, and, and Jimmy, Jimmy Hart, you know, those guys, they were great talkers, right. but they never were able to accomplish in the ring with Bobby could. I mean, he gave the people everything they wanted. Oh, yeah. They hated him. They hated his, his guys he was managing mm -hmm. and then when he got in the ring uh just uh yeah he, he knew he how to show he, he was unbelievable show. yeah how about uh diamond dallas page i know he started in the awa he came to the awa as a manager and he he was originally a bouncer down in florida mm -hmm. and oh, got wow. into and he got into uh being a manager down there uh, I don't know if it was for Eddie Graham or not, or if it was just for local people, but he came up and he was a good talker, mm -hmm. but again, you know, he didn't know how to get his talent established. He could establish himself, but not the talent. Right. And um, later on, I ended up working for the WWE. I mean, mm -hmm. for the NW, uh, for the WCW down in Atlanta, mm -hmm. Bill Watts called me and brought me down as one of the bookers and one of the, TV producers. Right. Also, uh, eventually, when Bischoff took over, I ended up, he wanted me to, to fin train some people, finish them off. Okay. They'd been trained, but they weren't ready right. to carry the load. So I had to go into the ring. And at that time, I had Steve Austin, I had Brian Pillman, I had Triple H, Kevin Nash, Booker T and his brother, and The Undertaker. The Undertaker was only there for a short time. They let him go after a week after I've been working with these guys. Oh, wow. And Diamond Dallas Page. And Bischoff was a neighbor of Diamond Dallas Page. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, I want you to get him ready. And I said, well, he's the greenest. The other guys have all been wrestling. They just need to be polished off. He, he's like starting over with, man. I mean, yeah. that's going to be a, you can't make him a, a star right now. Well, we want, uh, that's who I want. So okay. after working with these guys for a couple months, I came back and I said, okay, here's who you got. Steve Austin, Triple H, Booker T, um, Kevin Nash. Um, there was one other guy there and I can't remember who it was. Um, they're going to be your next stars. Mm -hmm. Well, we want Diamond Dallas Page to be our next star. And I said, well, Diamond Dallas Page is about two or three years from being a star. Yeah. You know, these are your guys. 
and he, a bishop, argued and argued with me. Well, I don't know. Steve Austin's too bland. I don't know what to do with him. I said, just let him be Steve Austin. He, he, he you know, he'll yeah. be phenomenal. And Triple H, he's getting there. He's getting there. Yeah. Two days later, he fired all of them except Diamond Dallas Page. Let them wow. all go to New York. Well, in New York and very successful, obviously. Yeah, they all became very successful. Yeah. So um, it was Diamond Dallas was a hard worker, though. Mm -hmm. He would stay after. Uh, uh, he absorbed everything really quick. Yeah. Uh, and he turned out to be a really good performer. Yeah. In the ring and out of the ring. Yeah, he, he yeah. did in the he late really 90s. Did. And yeah, I, he was. I, but, you know, at the time, he wasn't really prepared for that. He wasn't ready what, what they were trying to do with him. And if they'd have stuck him in there, which eventually they did, and he did okay, mm -hmm. but you have to let the progression of an individual learning. First, you learn, you got to learn and remember all the holds, and you got to do them over and over again, like you run a football play till it's repetition, till it just comes natural to you. Somebody grabs your arm, you just reverse it. You know what to do. Right he didn't have all that yet. So he was limited in the ring and what he could do. Mm -hmm. And when you're limited in the ring and what you can do, it's hard to become a star. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and when you're in the ring, you're thinking when somebody's grabbing you, okay, what do I do now? Where it's not coming, it's not coming natural, you know, where you can, you don't even have to think you just do right. it. Yeah. And Muscle memory. Once you get to that part and that's where I got Steve Austin and Booker T and triple H, I get, that's where I got them to. So that, Everything was, uh, in fact, one day in the uh, training session, I took Steve and I said, look at, I want you to be like a kind of a Ray Stevens in the ring, kind of watch his stuff. And then him and I, for, for the rest of the, the veterans there, the Triple H and those guys, I had, we had an hour match mm -hmm. when we got the, we got the guys watching it into it. Yeah. They started getting into it. I mean, my wow. God, but that's, that's how you learn. Yeah. And and there's a progression to it before you're ready. And usually, usually it's, it's no different uh, than pro football. Pro football, it usually takes the rookies, a real good rookie. Uh, today is a little different. They can, some can come out and be a star, but not, not too many. Yeah. No. Usually it's three to five years because mm -hmm. you have to learn all the different techniques, all the different moves and how to leverage yourself against different individuals. Yeah. And that's the way it was in wrestling. Usually it took five years. Oh, wow. Some people that, you know, like myself who grew up in it, yeah. and we had the great training from, from Vern and, and Billy Robinson, you know, at three years, we were getting, we were, we were where we could wrestle in the main event. Yeah. But usually it takes five years. Mad Dog Bashan. 10 years in professional wrestling. <laughs> he was going to quit wrestling. Yeah. So, I mean. Wow. That dog was a, you know, crazy. Oh, shit. There's nobody <laughs> like him, man. <laughs> he was, indeed. Did I tell you the story last time how he, how he ended up at the AWA? No, you didn't tell us. Tell the story, please. So, Mad Dog's been wrestling for 10 years. My dad met him in 1948. Mad Dog was on the Canadian Olympic team. Mm -hmm. His family had moved from Algiers when he was young and grew up in, in, in Canada, okay. uh, wrestled on the Olympic team. Vern met him in, in England in 1948. 
wavy blonde hair, 210 pounds, good looking son of a gun. Yeah. And then came out of the Olympics and turned pro. And he was kind of, he was kind of like the George Kadaski, Kenny J. Yeah. He wasn't going anywhere. And he was getting very frustrated. He got hit in the throat and he kind of lost his voice. And that's why he talked like this. <laughs> and then he was losing his hair and he got his teeth knocked out and he didn't have any money to get him fixed. He wasn't making enough money in wrestling. Yeah. So he, he was sent out to Don Owens out in Portland, Oregon. And Don wasn't getting anywhere with him. And it was Mad Dog's last night for Don Owens. Then he was going back to Montreal and probably quit wrestling. Oh, wow. And so Don Owens sent him out in a match, second match on the card, some young guy. Mad Dog is now losing his freaking mind. He's lost his hair, his teeth his voice. So he jumps in the ring. He fires this kid out of the ring onto the floor. He beats him with a chair, busts him open. He knocked two or three people in the front row out. The police <laughs> tried to get him under control. He knocked one cop out. They get him back in the locker room and they're trying to handcuff him. And they told Don, they're going to take him to jail. What should we do with him? And Don is all pissed off. And he looks at him. He says, you're nothing but a mad dog. Was it? He didn't press charges, but he says he told them that he was sending, he was leaving Oregon the next morning. So Don Owens called Joe Dusick, who is my dad's partner in Omaha. Mm -hmm. He said, Hey, this guy, uh, Bashan, Maurice Bashan, is driving back to Montreal. Could you at least put him on TV there and give him a payday so he's get enough money to get back to Montreal? Mm hmm. So Don, uh, so Don said, he's kind of a wild man. He's, he's, he's nothing but a mad dog. So they introduce him as mad dog, Bashan. And he goes in the ring and he does about the same thing there that he did out in Oregon. And Joe Ducey calls, calls Wally Carbo back in Minneapolis. He says, Hey, we got this guy down here. He's going through to Montreal, mad dog, Bashan. I want to keep him here. And I'd like to book him against Vern for the title. He oh. says, well, Nobody's ever heard of the guy. He says, I'm telling you, it'll be a phenomenal match. So Vern goes down there and Mad Dog beat him. <gasps> and, and now uh, Joe Dusick had his version of a, uh, I don't know, a Midwest or a world champion or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So Mad Dog won that from Vern. So Vern comes back and they end up bringing him into Minneapolis and the rest was history. Yeah. And he wrestled and the most unpredictable man I've ever been around in my life and scary. <laughs> he looks what scary. He sounds scary. Well, you know, back in that era, what you saw in the ring is what you got in and out of the ring. Yeah. The door at 6,000 feet in the airplane that we were flying back on. I, I have heard, but you can tell it if you want. Oh, right that's what, we've told that one. Yeah. Uh, people can see that one. Yeah. And it's, it's classic. It takes it about 15 minutes to tell it, but it's, it's all true. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, can we move on to uh, some of the broadcasters no. you work with? No, we're not going to move on anymore. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. I was like, okay. The announcers, the greatest announcer of all time was Marty O'Neill. Yeah. 
Uh, unbelievable. He never got shook up. Uh, I, I, there's some story I, I probably can't, <laughs> probably aren't appropriate to tell, but uh, Ron, you know, it was live TV back then. Mm-hmm. And Heenan was always trying to bust up the, uh, the announcer to get him to break up. <laughs> so Bachwinkle's wrestling Vern. Mm-hmm. And Marty's interviewing him. He says, now, Nick, you've been in Japan, and I understand you've got a new hold. And he says, yes, it's a new hold. It's the Singapore sleeper. And, and Marty says, well, what's the Singapore sleeper? It's more deadly than Ganya's sleeper hold. Nick, Nick has got it down. And then Nick started talking and doing it. Heenan's got a magazine and he's turning it from page to page. And, and, uh, uh, Marty is finished with Nick and he turns to Bobby and says, Bobby, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, I just want to make a point about the Singapore sleeper and how dangerous and what it's going to do to Vern Gagne and how he's going to beat him. And, uh, and he opens the magazine, he shows it to Marty O'Neill and it's, uh, it's a, it's two girls going at it with each other <laughs> and what they're doing to each other. And Marty says, and this is live TV. He kind of twitches his glass. He says, you're right, Bobby. If Nick gets Vern in that, he'll never get out of that one. <laughs> he never, never lost a step, never lost a step. But one of the great interviewers of all time. And then um, Marty got sick and we were stuck for an announcer. And Al Darusha, who was our, one of our producers, um, he used to work with Gene at the TV station. Gene was a salesman. He sold, sold advertising for the station. And he says, well, this guy used to be on radio. He's got a great voice. He said, well, should, we got to have something on Monday morning. This is, this is Saturday. Yeah. And we Marty had called Friday. He said, what are we going to do? And he, he, so Al took Gene or Gene took Al up to his cabin up in northern Minnesota mm-hmm. and they watched tapes of Marty O'Neill for two days. Oh, wow. Gene came back Monday morning to do interviews and we had to do, and our interviews started at nine in the morning. Usually went till six at night because oh. we had to do, we had to do interviews for every market. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the TV show was taped in Minneapolis and then they left two minutes for interviews, five segments. So we had to do them for every city, for Denver, San Francisco, Salt Lake, hmm. Milwaukee, Chicago. So it was a long day of interviews. Hmm. And he got there Monday morning at nine o'clock and he never missed a beat. He was the second Marty O'Neill. And, you know, eventually became his, his own personality and a very yeah. strong personality. And then we had Ron Krongart was probably he had the greatest voice and he did uh, college football at Minnesota and he really knew how to deliver it. And Roger Kent was the other one, uh, old and bent Roger Kent. We used to call him. <laughs> he was always bitching and complaining about something. He had a great voice. A uh, great voice. So we're doing live TV and, in, in uh, for ESPN first live show they're doing. And we had a couple hours of taping, before the live one went on and Roger had been out there the whole time. And it's, it's mid July or early August. And, you know, Vegas is 113 degrees outside. Yeah. We're in the showboat and you got the TV lights and it's hotter than hell in there. 
So Roger would come in after each taping, go, Jesus. And we'd go, God, Roger, it's really hot out there, isn't it? And he, yo, Jesus. And he'd be sweating his butt off, you know. And he, he said, I got this boil. I got this damn boil on my ass. It's killing me. So now we go to live TV, right? And he spent about three and a half hours into doing this TV. And something happened in the ring, and he got frustrated. And he said, will somebody get me a pad for this boil on my ass? Live TV. <laughs> so, oh. He was a That's character. Great. Yeah, he was a, he was a personality, too. Oh, yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, how about working with other promotions? How did, how did you do with that? And well, if you did any? It was Jim and I were having a really good run in the AWA mm-hmm. and um, you know, we were in our major cities uh, usually ran from Thursday to Sunday mm-hmm. and Jim Barnett was the promoter um, down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And Jim had called, he was good friends with my dad. They started together in Chicago. Right. In, in 1950, and he said, and Jim talked like this, Grant, uh, Burn, I would like to have the high flyers. We've got a great team down here. We'd like to book them against. It was uh, Cowboy Bob Wharton and Dick Slater, okay. and they were the champions of WCW. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a great match between the high flyers and them in Atlanta. So they took us out. We went down to Atlanta, and our first match is in Columbus, Georgia. And we're wrestling a couple old-timers, Rip Hawk and Dr. Jerry Graham. And we're on the second match on the card. Well, we go out, and this is our first time there. I mean, people don't really know us. Right. Um, We went 20-some minutes with these two guys, and the place was standing. And we came out, and the booker was this uh, Jim, uh, Jerry, or uh, what was his name? Hart, Jimmy Hart, I think. No, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the, no, it wasn't Jimmy. Jimmy Hart was the, uh, oh, God, I don't know what it, it was. It was just booker, anyhow. Yeah. And he said, what are you guys doing? I said, what do you mean? What are we doing? We had a match. Well, nobody could follow that match that night. So the booker got pissed off at us this is the way they worked in the south my dad never he said don't ever work in the you know going in the south it's a different deal he said you know they're real uh it's a different style yeah and uh the guys will try to screw you down there so you got to be on top of your top of your game mm-hmm. so he got mad so the rest of the next two weeks they booked us in in matches with bob Backlund and jerry briscoe clean matches and um so after the first week i went into jim and i said jim what's going on i mean you know you brought us down here to wrestle orton and slater and now now you've changed them to good guys and we're wrestling bob Backlund and jerry briscoe every night and we got a check for one week wrestling every night for 500 bucks said shit we make three times that amount wrestling in Denver or, or St. Louis or Chicago or Milwaukee. We're missing all those towns. Yeah. This isn't working for us. Right. And well, Hart doesn't want to put you in the main event because you stole the show in, in Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> oh God. You know, <laughs> so that's the way it worked on there. They're real clicky. Um, wrestled for the Jarrett 
organization. They mm-hmm. too were um, tough to work with. Yeah. They were shady. Yeah. I've done Memphis, Crockett's, right? Crockett's were shady. When we, re- we, uh, we formed that, when we were battling McMahon called the, um, what did we call it? Uh, Pro Wrestling the, USA. Yeah, Wrestling USA. Mm-hmm. Had all the promoters together. Right. Well, it was so hard to work with them. And, and Jarrett, what he did is he found, he was up at our office and got somehow got into our, somebody got uh, our files out, got into our agreement with ESPN. And then he called ESPN and said he could do it cheaper than they were paying us. Oh. But, the, but yeah, so he wanted his show on TV there. But those people were really good friends, good people mm. and honest. And yeah. they, they told him no. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff they did down there. Yeah. And, you know, and then we did the super clash and it was a combination with Jarrett and Fritz von Erich. And the deal was with Jarrett that they would split 50, 50, the, whatever the, whatever we got from the pay-per-view. Of course, at that time you didn't get paid for three months from the pay-per-view. Okay. So Vern said, well, I'll pay my, my people and I'll pay the Von Erics and you pay your people. Mm. Good. Well, Jarrett never told his guys that. And then his guys never got paid. And he, he told them Vern never paid them. Uh, is that <clears throat> the reason with the Lawler? Oh, yeah. Incident. You know, we over yeah. the years, I hear that, you know, he says Vern never paid him. And that's why he didn't show well, up was, for those title bouts. And That was the only that was the only time he never got paid. It was because <laughs> Jarrett was supposed to pay him. Right. Every time he wrestled for for Vern in, in, in the AWA, he got paid all the time. Right. But for that pay-per-view, that was the, that was the deal. Jarrett got 50 of the pay-per-view money. Vern got 50 and we, they each paid their own people. Right. And Jarrett never paid his guys and blamed Vern. They didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know Lawler until I heard him on TV one day. He said Vern never paid him. Yeah. I, I've heard that on a, yeah. one of their DVDs that he said Vern never paid him and, and, and I've also heard, you know, that, you know, you guys, Vern paid the guys well, gave them time off. And yep. I've, I've heard that from numerous uh, other people that work there that yeah. when you got paid there, you got paid good in that time, especially in that era when, you know, you there wasn't all this glamorous and, and TV contracts and all this other stuff. And he paid them pretty good. Uh, he paid 33% of the, of the net from the arena and then it was structured from the main event down to the opening match. The main eventers got the bigger percentage right. and the percentage all the way down the card. Okay. And uh, that's why everybody wanted to work here. Yeah. I mean, guys were making, uh, you know, 150 to 350 grand a year. Yeah. That, and that was huge money. Yeah. That's huge. And, money. and they had, and they were working 250 to 270 days out of the year. Yeah. As you go to Charlotte and you're working, 365 days plus mm-hmm. double shots on Saturdays and Sundays. So, you know, and they're, they're making good money, mm-hmm. but um, not quite what the guys here about. Maybe they were making that much uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the Crockett's paid, but Jim wrestled down there and uh, he wasn't real happy with the way he was paid, mm-hmm. but Jim wasn't happy anywhere where he was paid. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> That's my old partner. <laughs> but he is a great guy. He's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, but that was the story behind it. And I, you know, I've never confronted Jerry and I've never been around him where I could confront him and tell him what really happened. Yeah. And that really was a, that one sticks in me that, that pisses me off because yeah. Vern always paid his people. And that's, paid yeah. I, I was, that's the only derogatory as far as money yeah. I've ever heard. I mean, you know, he I was watched, the only one. <laughs> yeah, he was the only one because I've watched other, you know, documentaries and stuff and they always talk the, the guys that were in your organization. Then they mm-hmm. always said how well Vern and Wally paid those guys. You yeah. could not, you know, you couldn't complain about the money because he yeah. said they, they paid well mm-hmm. and you, and you got a lot of time off where, yeah. like you said, most of those other territories back in the day, you worked 365 and double shots on the weekends where in the AWA, you know, you guys did it smart. Mm-hmm. You, you worked 250 to 270 and you told me last time you guys took the month of May and, and a couple of weeks off in June, I believe it was yeah. for family time. Yeah. I mean, that's, so yeah, six uh, weeks off, and then, and then we only ran the major cities in the summertime. So it was usually, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday in the summer, but not not too much. So, yeah. you, you know, you did one day of TV, and you still had a couple of days off during the week. Yeah. So it was it was it was it was it was well run and yeah. um, better than, you know. And I wrestled for New York a couple of times. I wrestled that's, in the Garden. Yeah. How was that? It was interesting, you know, and it was funny because the talent in New York, um, if they would send them to Vern, Mm -hmm. their main event guys, Mm -hmm. most of them never made it past the third match on a card. They just then, didn't, it was because just a it was different, different style. style. Yeah. I mean, yeah. up there it was big guys, all, uh, cartoon character, cartoon characters, or they wanted a character and I shouldn't call them cartoon characters, but they were, they were characters. Yeah. And, um, so I, they sent me out Vince senior. I had a match in the garden, second match in the card. Mm-hmm. And it was a, 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 one of their guys that wrestled on TV mm-hmm. and we wrestled about 12 or 14 minutes. And I came out of the ring and Vince Sr. came up to me and he said, what in the world did you do out there? I said, Russell, what do you mean? <laughs> you tore the place down. We had the people standing. Yeah. And, and, he, and his guys had a tough time after that. And it was, I said, it's a different philosophy. You know, Vern was a wrestler yep. and had to be able to wrestle in the ring. Up there, their perception was the same as today. It's just a show. Yeah. You know, and look what they've done to it. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's a lot different. I think they're stuck right now. I don't know where they're going yeah. with what they've got, but I'm not seeing any very yeah. few personalities that I see on there that I would pay money to see. I, like I said last time, Greg, I have not watched. I, I used to get the WWE Network mm-hmm. until last January. And the only reason why I quit getting it was because it's really hard. I don't know if you've ever had it, but it's really hard to navigate through it to find classic AWA matches, right? They have yeah. a little icon for it. 
but you have to really search for it. And it got really frustrating. They want you to watch that. Yeah. And I agree. And they don't, they have some of those, a few of your TV tapings from ESPN, Mm -hmm. but they used, they don't have like super clash. One was a great car. We didn't tape a lot of that. I mean, that stuff was because, but uh, we didn't tape a lot of it, but they don't, they don't want to show that stuff. Right. I mean, they've, they've gone, they bought everybody out basically. Right. Bought everybody's library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, they keep it on the shelf and they yep. use it periodically when they need it. Mm-hmm. But um, I watched it again the other night and I was, I was telling a friend of mine, I, I said, it's hard to watch. I can't get into the, there's no, there's no personalities. I said, mm-hmm. you've got the, you've got, uh, who's their champion? The, the, the kid from Scotland. Uh, oh, Mac- Drew McIntyre. Drew Orton. Yep. Um, uh, Zig, uh, uh, Ziggler, Dolph. Ziggler, you know, but he's used up. He's yep. been there so long. Yep. Uh, Braun Strowman. I like Kevin Owens. I like, I like Kevin Owens. Um, good. but other than that, yeah, I have a really tough time with it and they're not, you're not developing the guys like the, the Steve Austin's, the triple H's, the Shawn Michaels, uh, mm-hmm. the undertaker. You don't have anybody that really stands out, mm-hmm. but see, he took all those great personalities. He stole from all the territories, the right. Roddy Pipers, you know, he took the cream of the crop Yeah, he did. from everybody. And those guys, they grew up in the business they had they had to let their own personality come out, mm-hmm. and those were their personalities. Now they're trying to create personalities, and um, actually, to me, the girls are having better matches than the guys. I was thinking the same thing that the, the, the women wrestlers they are, and and I will say that uh, women's wrestling, especially in the last four or five years, is really. Oh, they're gone, gone up. It really and, has. They yeah. And, and they, they, they perform well. They're great on the mic. They, mm-hmm. they've come a long ways. And I, I think they're, they've, they are doing really well. And like you, uh, you know, I, I don't even hardly watch it anymore. I, I just can't. It's just, and it's, it's not just because the fans aren't there. I mean, it's just so enough. scripted. And oh, so, it, it is. And the WWE is, isn't as, they're not as bad as the AEW. Have you watched that? I oh have. It, it's so bad. <laughs> uh, it, you know, Cody Rhodes, I helped train him, finish him off when he was down in Louisville. Uh-huh. And he can, he can wrestle, but nobody else, they get these guys that are, I, I don't know, backyard wrestlers or something. They're doing all these flips and flops. How about the guy that wrestles with his freaking hands in his pockets? Oh, that, uh, yeah, Orange Cassidy, yeah. Well, how in the world? <laughs> you know, they're telling the people it's just, this is strictly entertainment, but to me, that's not even entertaining. Yeah. You know, you can only watch that for so long. Yeah. People, no matter what you think of wrestling, Mm-hmm. They want a contest. Yep. They want to see a contest. Mm-hmm. And it's your job to go out and give them one. Yeah. They don't do a contest anymore. T- today it's a live video game. 
Yeah. I I but will agree with that. They yeah. just have not. And, and all the guys look the same. They got yes. tattoos. They got long hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it reminds me of my dad said, you know, when, when he got into it in 50 on network TV, mm-hmm. they had before that, they called it all the gimmick wrestling. You know, everybody was a character yeah. and everybody had a gimmick. And that's what it's gone to again. But see, that was the philosophy of the McMahons, yeah. which was different than in the Midwest from the AWA, mm-hmm. where you had to be able to perform. You had to be able to wrestle. Eddie Graham in Florida, yeah. same thing. Those yeah. guys had to wrestle. But Eddie came from that background. Yeah, Crockett's weren't wrestlers, but they had the talent that yeah. could perform for them. Yep. And they Harley did, Race. They, yeah. And... Harley who? Harley Race. I never heard of him. <laughs> never heard of him? <laughs> Harley started here. I I, I know he was Larry Henning. Yeah, he was yeah. he was a phenomenal talent. Yeah. You know, and uh but you don't have the the Nick Bockwinkles, the Ray Stevens, the Wahoo McDaniels, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let me ask you this. Do you think that's why they're title reigns are so much shorter. I mean, you guys had people with, you had the belts for oh two or three years. Bockwinkle and your dad had them for yeah. four or five years. They could draw, you know, they you guys draw. could draw, but you know, nowadays if you have they always, they, well, they always brought somebody in to build them up for a title match. Right. You always had talent. We had so much talent here that anybody, they got so established that anybody, you could pick anybody out of our roster and give them a main event match for the title, and they'd probably sell the joint out. Right. You know? And that, that's uh, my point, is that nowadays, it's six months, you're done. Well, who do they have right now to replace McIntyre? McIntyre has, him and Orton will have a phenomenal match. Yeah. I mean, Orton is old school. And but yeah, but be, Orton's been champion for, you know, he's he's yeah. he'll, he's he'll, been around so much that, you know, his... Yeah, he'll, he'll he might get it and he'll hold it for six months and he'll drop it to well, that's Ray okay. Wyatt or somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he's just uh, that match. And I watched them wrestle one other time. Uh, they just beat the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a nice physical, old school match. Yeah. Now they speed they speed it up for TV now. Right. But uh, in the pay per view, those guys will have a hell of a match. Mm-hmm. But yeah. who else can you put in there with McIntyre that can have a good match with them? That's why they put Dolph Ziggler in there with them. Yeah. You know, he does, he's a, he's great for that right now, but he doesn't have anybody to work with except Orton. Yeah. To me in that, in that roster, that's going to make any sense. He right. goes to Braun Strowman. It can't be a long match because he's, yeah. Braun can't carry a, a long match. Right, but but McIntyre and and uh, Orton should have a twenty to thirty minute match. Yeah, and they probably won't, but but they should. Yeah, yeah, they don't do those sixty minute Iron Man matches anymore. Yeah. I haven't seen one of those in over twenty years. Probably the last one I can really remember was Bret Hart, John Michaels in WrestleMania. What was it, twelve? Yeah. Well, the the reason is is, uh, you know, J.D. Power does surveys all the time. Mm -hmm. And the attention span 
for somebody watching TV is eight seconds. That's that's before they'll click the channel. Yeah. So that's why newscasts, when you hear a newscast, you know, they give a little bleat, you know, here was, oh, uh, Billy Lyons out there the other day, you know, he got, uh, got hit by a car and, and killed. And then they go on to the next thing is, but on the other hand, then we got this going on, you know, and it, it, it's like, God. Yeah. It, it's, but with all these channels and everything that they'll switch the channels, that's yeah. why, you know, they got to keep the pace of that wrestling going all the time. Yeah. But I still think if you, I still believe that you could take an old school wrestler, two old school wrestlers, mm-hmm. if they're in their prime yeah. and go in there and in a pay-per-view, if they gave you 20 to 30 minutes, to have a match, it'll be slow at first, but it'll build those people. You have to know how to build them yep. to that biggest, and then they get into your personality. Yeah, you know they used to get into you because they wanted you to win. Yeah, yeah. You know they either liked you or they hated you. Yeah, one of the two. And if they liked you, they were like this. You know when you're getting. Yeah. Shit and crap. That come on, come on, come on. Yeah, they're emotionally yeah. into that individual. Yeah. Now, the crowd is just there to be entertained, mm-hmm. and you can only entertain them so long with the crap that they're doing. How many ladder matches can you have? How many? You know, it, it used to be once a year you'd have a match, and now they're having them uh, three, yeah, every, four, five, yeah. six times a year. Yeah. It, every, every it burns out. It burns yeah. out. It's not an event anymore. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I'm, it's, it's, I get off a lot. I'm sorry. No, you're okay. No, you're, this is why we're, this is why we're here. And I appreciate you, you doing this for us. I really do. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about, and I don't know if you ever have it running, bringing back something with the AWA or, no. or no, no, it's just, it's, it's too hard. I mean, you have to have a, you have to have a TV contract. You have to have a lot of money behind you. Yeah. I mean, Cody Rhodes got that AEW going, but he's got the Jacksonville uh, football NFL owner behind it, who's got millions and millions of dollars to put into it. And that's what you need today. Uh, It's outrageous what they're paying some of these wrestlers right now who, you know, back in our day, they couldn't carry your jockstrap into the (laughs) room. They're making $3 million. My next question, actually, I was going to roll into that. So not during the jock trap, but, uh, you know, you guys, you say got paid by the gate. And uh, so, uh, and you got, you took a handshake. So nowadays, I mean, you worked in the, in the nineties with, uh, in the early two thousands with WWE and WCW. How did, do they do it now versus. They sent them to contracts. You know, it's just like an NFL football team. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly. They'll give them a base salary, mm-hmm. and then they'll give them a, um, a percentage of the what, where they are in the card in the pay-per-view. Okay. I don't know if they all get that, but I know that, like, uh, the guys that were coming out when I was training guys in Louisville and Atlanta, mm-hmm. they got a contract for maybe fifty grand, but they had to pay their expenses on the road. Uh, okay. That's what I was going to ask you. So, yeah. 
I mean, we we used to have to do that too. Yeah. But at fifty grand today, I mean, uh, not all those guys can fly mm-hmm. to an event. They that's why they do the TVs. You know, one night in Green Bay, the next night in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. The guys, the young guys, drive up to those. Right. And I I, I know that some of the uh, the bigger talent, uh, Undertaker, uh, I know Triple H. Uh, I guess Randy Orton, maybe a couple other guys, mm-hmm. they lease those big buses. Yes. Type deals. I heard that. And, and, but then they'll get a driver. So if they're, if they're going from Minneapolis to Atlanta, uh-huh. the, the bus will drop them in Minneapolis. And then if they're in Atlanta the next day, the bus driver had to drive the bus down there and meet them in Atlanta. Oh, and they would gosh. fly. That's your main event guys. You know, you guys that are making the big money. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I heard Brock Lesnar made like twelve million last year. Uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not a fan of him just because he's good. I mean, he he does his little matches and stuff. But I just, I guess the perception for me because he's not at all the pay per views, and you know, you're you were the champion, you should be there. That's what makes him special. They're not overposing him. I guess that's true. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think of it so like that when he comes back. Yeah. You can't, you can't have a steady. Uh, uh, you can't have him on there all the time. Yeah. You know, because it'll wear out. Yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, because he's, I mean, he, he is so good. Yeah, he, just, he is. He just beat the shit out of him. Who wants to watch that every week? You know, <laughs> you know, a 32nd, 42nd match. Yeah. Um, so you just build them up for the big, big events and yeah. he will draw money for you. Oh yeah. He draws. There's no doubt. And I know that a lot of the guys don't like being in the ring with them. I mean, he's very physical. Yeah. I never thought of it like that. So you put a little more light on it for me. Why isn't there all the time? So I, I, I appreciate you bring that. them in for the specials. Yeah. But now, I mean, they're getting now, you know, for, I'm trying to think of what are they going to do for WrestleMania next year? I mean, Undertaker's <laughs> done, right? They'll well, probably have to, they'll have to bring him in for some kind of an appearance. Yeah. Um, I didn't even watch WrestleMania this year because you know, I, I mean, just I couldn't do it. I don't. I just. I can't. I don't even know what the, what the uh, main event match would be. Yeah. I thought they would save Orton and McIntyre for WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think. But I so I don't know. They they got something up their sleeve, but I don't know what it is. Well, hopefully it's good. I mean, this last one I didn't watch because one, it was it was kind of being scrambled all the time. We're gonna have it, we're not gonna have it, and then, yeah, it, like it I was, said, I didn't have the network, and I read uh, later on that yeah, it was okay. There was a couple matches that were good, but overall, it could have been better. It was not their best mania, and under yeah, the circumstances, I can't more people in that there. I thought the the best match I saw, which was very, very unique, was the. Uh, Undertaker and uh, Styles. The Styles. There's another one. He's very, very good. I like AJ Styles. And and, and then that uh, Japanese wrestler with uh, the uh, ball-headed guy. God, I can't think. Of oh his. yeah, um, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Shinsei Yakamura. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, um, their tag team situation is a little. Uh, I like that Morrison and uh, and Miz. Oh, the Miz. 
Yeah, but the Miz, you know, he's been on so much, he's getting worn yeah. out. It doesn't mean what he used to mean. Yeah, true. So yeah, it's it's tough. That's why I'm right now. I think the girls are carrying carrying the the yeah, show. I agree with you. I agree. All right. Well, kind of a serious question here. Uh, you mean the rest of them weren't? <laughs> <laughs> Have you had any real heat with anybody outside of the ring that you worked with or in general it, that was a wrestler? Not that I can remember. Okay. Um, I had a little c- uh, conflict, different um, – well, this was Cowboy Bob Orton Sr. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not to a point where we got in a fight, but um, philosophically, mm. uh, a little different thinking. Yeah. Um, so we had good matches. Um, some guys probably had better matches with them than I did. Yeah. But um, because we had a different philosophy. Yeah. And he wanted to do it his way, and I guess I was wanting to do it my way. (laughs) (laughs) So we clashed a little bit, but otherwise, I never had any problem with anybody. And and uh, well, that's good to hear. Love the the maybe there was somebody out there, but um, well, you know, I mean, I just thought about that. You sent me that question, and I'm just trying to think. I'm sure there was somebody, but I can't remember who it might have been. Well, I mean, if if you didn't. I mean, if you can't think of somebody off the top of your head, then obviously there's been, I mean, because usually when you ask somebody that question, they can name somebody pretty quick and say, yeah, it was so-and-so and this yeah. is why. And, but we were, we're good buddies now, but back then we had whatever. So, okay. Um, so when you were in the AWA, you know, your dad and Wally Carbo run it. So I know you talked about before being a ref. Was there any other roles you did in there as far as maybe booking or something oh, like that? Eventually, well, you know, I started out driving the ring and refereeing. Right. Then I wrestled. Mm-hmm. And then I helped um, overseeing the TV interviews, making sure everything was, uh, you know, for every different city that we had to do an interview for an update on what happened in the, on the last card. So refresh everybody's memory. So they would know, you know, what they were talking about and who they were going against. Um, Helped some guys with their interviews. Okay. Uh, Then we did, did the booking. Yeah. Uh, I was usually responsible for all the arenas settling up with the promoters. Okay. You know, I had to report back, you know, what the gate was. And of course I did find one guy in Winnipeg that was stealing from us. Oh. And I kept going back. I said, you know, they told me the gate was smaller than the last one. And I know we had more people in there. Yeah. You know, and then Vernon Wally would get mad at me. Well, well, well you prove it then. <laughs> so I went in and found out that, for one card, the promoter had given given away twenty five hundred free tickets. Oh my gosh! They weren't actually free. <laughs> he had a little office in another building. He was selling those tickets on his own. Yeah. 
wow. and reporting them as freebies. That's a lot of tickets to be free. So when we finally cornered him, we wrestled in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. He took all the money from the gate that night mm -hmm. and took off and left for Vancouver. We never, never found him again. So that was one night that we all got paid very little <laughs> Yeah, for a big, a big card. Big card. Yeah. That's where you won the, your first tag team titles, right? In Winnipeg? It was against Lance and Duncan, yeah. Yep. Winnipeg. I watched that match the other night on uh, YouTube. Oh, did you? Yeah, great, great match. Was great it? Great match. I never had a bad one. Well, I, <laughs> I know, but that was a great match. Those That was big, bad. I mean, those two guys were huge. Oh, yeah. One, I mean, in size. And well, they were. Well, Duncan, I mean, I'll tell you what, that freaking Duncan. Yeah. And he played football for the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And first time we wrestled him, he came off those ropes and he hit you with a tackle. I've never been hit so hard in my life. <laughs> so, and he was, he was full blast for 15 minutes. Yeah. You had, you had to stay in the ring with him for 15 minutes. If you got past the 15 minute mark, he was done. Yeah, he was tuckering out, huh? Yeah. Because <laughs> he went balls out. So we're in Moline, Illinois. And I said, Jim, tonight, I'm going to hit that Duncan with a drop kick as soon as he comes off the ropes before he gets any momentum. So we get going in the match, finally shoot him in, he shoot him into the ropes. And I don't know, I dropped down or something and I got up and I hit him with a drop kick just as he turned from the ropes. Oh. And the next thing I knew, I'm down on the floor. And Jim is laughing his ass off. And I said, what the fuck happened? He said, you hit him with the drop kick. He went out over the top rope. You looked like an arrow. You went across the ring, over the, over the ropes, onto the floor. Oh, oh God. That's the sp – I mean, you know, usually you figured a guy coming off the ropes, if you were in the center of the ring, you were probably getting hit somewhere between 18 – to 24 miles an hour. Yeah. With Duncan was about 30 miles an hour. He was a big dude. We had a he is a big dude. He's, oh, you know, he's he a big man. Pounds. And then Lanza was, he was big and he was lanky and he was, he was, uh, he was very good. Yeah. But I remember um, we had uh, Bob Lertzema. He played football for the Minnesota Vikings mm -hmm. and he was a defensive tackle. And he refereed a match one night in Minneapolis. And he came out of there and he said, my God, I didn't understand the kind of contact you guys have in the ring. Yeah. You don't have any pads on. He said, that was <laughs> unbelievable. He said, I've never heard bodies hit like that ever. Yeah. You know, on TV, it doesn't look that bad. It looks, you know, but when, You've actually, when you go to an event and you you hear them chops, you hear them hit the ropes with their back, and you see those marks on them afterwards. I mean, yeah. when you're up close, you can see them, and you're like, yeah. I, I, it's it's I, physical. Yeah, you know, I mean, even today's I, today they're doing such goofy shit. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, they're flying all over with all these flips and flops. Yeah, um, but. It, it is a very physical sport. 
yeah. in, in the ring. The contact, you have to learn how to, like if you shoot a guy off in the ropes, you mm -hmm. want to come in and meet him before he gets that momentum coming off the ropes. You want to yeah. catch him and he's like one step off of it. Yeah. If you're sitting in the middle, man, he's going to knock you into the third row. Yeah. Uh, so same with here. how to protect yourself and try to take it yes. all up in here. Yeah. Um, if your arms are down, you're going to get a rib broke or that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all those little things that you have to learn and you have to teach somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's what takes so long. Yeah. It's this young girl I was training. I mean, I said, you got to hit the ropes. And, oh, that's that nothing to it. I said, Hey, you got to hit him. <laughs> she hits him about three times. Oh my God, that hurts. And I, I told you, it takes about six weeks. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of guys break their ribs, hit yeah. the ropes. Mm -hmm. They go through them, and the top rope hits them behind the head, knocks them out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 uh, there's so much that goes into learning how to be a professional wrestler that uh, just goes by the average guy. All they see is what's on TV. Right? They don't they don't really understand the kind of contact and the kind of abuse your body goes through, and the on the slams and everything else. All mm -hmm. the times that you get that you take and hitting those damn turnbuckles, shit. Oh, that's got to hurt. Oh, yeah, I was going to the chiropractor. They used to, it's called inverted uh, um, your, your, your back. The disc slips, goes in, in rather than <laughs> popping out. And when you take a breath, it, catch, it feels like your ribs are broke. <sighs> and they have to go from the front and pop that back in. You know, we go to the chiropractor three, four times a week. Jeez. Yeah, it's... It's very a very physical sport. No matter what you think about it, or what it is, no matter what they're doing today, it's still very very physical. And you put your putting your life on the line every time you go through the ropes. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people. When I, I'll, I'll be honest. When I tell people about what I what I enjoy and I'm doing yeah. this, they kind of chuckle a little bit, and I'm like, you know what? It you ever been to one or, you know, you watch those guys and they take a beating, you know, it ain't yeah. all sunflowers and, and, and yeah. roses in there. They, they work and you got to be physically fit. You got to be, you, they do a lot of cardio. They do a lot of training. And I said, you know, one, it, one wrong move that, that could be it. You could snap a bone yeah, or it anything. It, it's uh, it takes, it takes like we did six hours a day, six days yeah. a week to harden your body up. And I mean, yeah. We, like I told you, we didn't know how hard we were until after we physically got into it with somebody that wasn't in the ring with us. Right. And all yeah. of a sudden now, holy shit, I can control anybody. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and somebody won now. I don't want really to get any bar fights now, but I was in quite <laughs> a few when I was younger. <laughs> so, you know, have you been, you train wrestlers and so is there... The training, as far as I know, your dad's camp was well known, vigorous. Yeah. But when you get to these, have you ever seen any other camps that are? I have, you know, and um, it, it, your hesitation me, says it all. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it really does. It, it does because there's a lot of guys that think they can train wrestling. Mm -hmm especially guys who were like um, like the Frankie DeFalcos and the Tom Stones, mm -hmm. those guys, I mean, they came from our background. They know what we had to do in our school. 
Right. Frankie's got a camp. He tries to run it. He called me up. How did your dad run? I said, Frankie, you got, you can't just make anybody a wrestler. You have to make them earn it. Yeah. And you have to put them through the grind of what that's going to, going to be like in the ring. Yeah. And so he's got his guys now doing a thousand free squats nonstop. He says, you know, a lot of guys are quitting. I said, well, you're weeding out the people that aren't, they're not going to make it. You know, they watch it on TV and they, oh shit, we can do this. They can't. Yeah. And you have to, you have to make them hit the ropes. You, you know, we took a thousand bumps in an hour. A, you know, I'm, well, maybe it was all together, all of us, six of us, a thousand. That's it, a lot. It is. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's 150 each or better. Yeah. And it was bump after bump. So you can learn how to, your whole body hit the mat and absorb the shock and the impact. Yeah. But then when you get somebody throwing you, yeah. I mean, I watched Mad Dog Vachon break a young kid's neck. Oh, gosh. Well, the kid didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't trained properly. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. You have to learn, once a guy has you, okay, how do I protect myself? Yeah. If I'm going to get slammed. I'm going to get my hand into his upper hip, mm-hmm. and I'm going to push myself and arch my back. Yeah. That way he can't control me. But if I'm in just a bundle, he can throw me straight down on my shoulder, on my neck. That way, when he throws me, I'm controlling the bump. Right. It still hurts, yeah. but I'm controlling how I'm going to land, hopefully. Yeah. They're going to try to throw me in a different direction. Right. So this young girl I'm training, um, she's learning now how hard it really was. She, I mean, mm-hmm. she was a, a five years on the U.S. Uh, Olymp- uh, U.S. gymnastics team. Okay. She's only 20 years old. And then she oh, turned wow. cross training and she won awards in that and then weightlifting for a year. And she broke all the records at her weight. She's 130 pounds. Oh gosh. And she's got a tryout coming up in September or October with the WWE. She originally had one, but mm-hmm. they did their physical. She did her interview in the morning and then the Corona hit. So they yeah. sent them all home, yeah. but they picked her out of 80, 80 people as one of the top fives. Wow. And, you know, and all these other ones, a lot of these people have been wrestling before, but they weren't trained like she was. And I know Triple H and Shawn Michaels know that I've been working with her, that she's going to have good fundamentals. Yeah, that's the key. Fundamentals. You have to be fundamentally sound. And that's in any sport. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Well, that's some great insights. Let's talk about some of the big card events that, you were in in the in the eighties. Uh, it's already ten o'clock. We've been going for an hour and a half. Doesn't seem like it, does it? Nobody's going to watch it that long. Oh. I'll, I'll I'll make it. I'll cut it in chunks. How's that? Oh, you, oh yeah. You go cut out to make me look bad. No, no, no sir. Totally the opposite. All right. <laughs> but I do want to talk about you know like Super Sunday in eighty was it eighty three. With Hulk yeah. and, and all those. Uh, Hulk wasn't there. Uh, was he? I think he wrestled Bach. Oh, yeah. Super Sunday. Oh, yeah. Super they, Sunday. Yep. That's they, when we had uh, the St. Paul Civic Center and the building next door sold yes. out. Yeah. So we had like we had 19,000 in the one and about eight in the other one. And then we closed circuited it next door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a, that was an unbelievable evening. 
That was like great matches. That I remember, and I could be wrong, but that was probably one of the first huge, big uh, cards that, like a WrestleMania almost, but a pre, you know, pre yeah. sequel to that. Yeah. Um, you know, Hogan. I I wrestled with Hogan up in New York. I met at uh, Shea Stadium when he wrestled Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. And Hulk had a horrible match with Andre. And I went out afterwards with Pat Patterson, Ricky Steamboat, and uh, his partner. And uh, came back to the hotel, and there was Hulk sitting down at the end of the hall in front of his door, almost in tears. Mm-hmm. I said, what's the matter, big man? I can't make it in wrestling. And I said, well, you have, you have a lot of potential, but you need some work. I said, uh, I went over, you know, how he was trained. We trained down with uh, Eddie Graham, but I don't think he went through the camp completely. And then he wrestled for Jarrett. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do with him. They sent him to New York because New York wanted a big guy. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he was trying to be a bad guy. Right. And I talked to him and then I said, you know, I said, you, you've got a lot of potential, man, but you need some work. Why don't you come to the AWA where you're, you know, you're going to get some, some help. Yeah. And so I came back, I told my dad, I said, Hey, to get the guy in New York, this Hogan, we got to get him here and he's going to be something else. Mm-hmm. What did you tell? I said, yeah, I told him to call you. So if you get the call, you know, get him in here. Yeah. And he didn't call for three months. Oh, and then wow. we were, we were doing a show with, Phil Donahue in Chicago ah. and was driving up from Florida. So Vern said, why don't you stop in Chicago? We'll put you on the Phil Donahue show. Okay. And, and my dad said, we'll just put him on for an interview. And I said, well, I've never heard him interview. You know, I would, I don't know if I'd do that or not. Yeah. Oh, it'll be fine. They put him on the last, last two minutes of the show. And the interview was so freaking bad about yeah. ruined the whole show we did and my dad said what the, what the hell are you doing with this guy I said ah oh, jeez I told you <laughs> so he wrestled in Milwaukee and they put Johnny Valiant with him yeah. as manager to do the talking for him so then my dad saw him and he thought oh shit yeah this guy's got some potential but he needs to be working on his interviews I so he needs work in the ring too yeah and I said but he needs to be a, a good guy I mean, he's really deep down. He's a good guy. Yeah. And he's trying and he's projecting himself as a bad guy and it's not coming across well. Mm-hmm. So my dad worked with him on his interviews and then Jim and I worked out with him, and then we put him in six man tag team matches and we'd yes. only get him in the ring when we had control. And we might say, you know, we work in the arm. We'll say, you know, do, do a twist his arm, drop a leg on it tag out. (laughs) (laughs) So he was getting the flow of a, of a match and where we were going with it. Yeah. And then my dad showed his video of, uh, from the movie Rocky. Yes. When Hogan knocked, uh, on his ass and he, (laughs) my God, that's all we would show on his interview. Yeah. And it really established him. And then Vern worked with this interview and started getting out his real personality. Yeah. And if you tell him a few things to say and how to do it and got him to do the posing and, and uh, that. So then we're in, we're in, he's finally getting with it. 
and we're in Chicago at the Rosemont Horizon. It's sold out, and it's uh, us, Hogan, Jim, and I against Bachwinkle, Stevens, and Blackwell with Heenan in the corner. Mm-hmm. And they were in the ring first, and we hit the ring, and Hogan got in the ring, and we got in the ring, and he did that pose. And I looked over at Jim, and I grabbed Hogan's T-shirt. I said, grab the other side. Ah. And we tore it off slowly, and he kept posing, and those people went bananas. Yeah. And when I saw him in Florida down when they went on the, uh, uh, or in LA, when they went on the uh, uh, network mm-hmm. for Fox, he yeah. was there. And in front of everybody, he said, this is the guy that came up with the idea of tearing the T-shirt off. Wow. And he said, you know, that was unbelievable. He said, you did that in the ring that night. And from that time on, he said, that was my trademark. Yeah. Yeah. You so still talk to him at all? or I just talked to him last week for about an hour on the phone. Yeah. I asked him about it. He had back surgery, his 10th one. Yeah, you guys, you and know. He had the fusion. Tell- yeah. And I said, you know, I'm having, I'm really nervous about it. And I still don't want to do it. Yeah. He said, well, it takes six months. He says, don't, you can't do anything but walk. Yeah. And walk straight up. Don't try to lift anything. Yeah. He said it'll just screw you up. Yeah. Well, you said, be well, careful when you get my done. other three surgeries. I think I tried coming back too quick from and yeah. screwed them up. Now I got to go in for this one on Monday. Not be looking careful. forward to it. Yeah, I bet you're not. I wouldn't be either. But you be careful after your surgery. Don't be trying to do too much too fast. Well, that's probably when you'll come up and want me to go out with you, and then you're. <laughs> I'll take care of it. We'll just walk. We won't, won't do, do any that. lifting or anything. No way. <laughs> so, God. Well, that's so, well. That was a that was a great great card that night, and Hogan mm-hmm. and Bachwinkle topped it off. Yeah, Hogan thought he won the title. He didn't. Yeah. That's what really frustrated him. Yeah. Um, the problem was, and this was kept a secret. I don't. know, Maybe I told you before. Maybe I didn't. If I did, tell me to be quiet. No, speak, please. So. We in the fall, then that was in the spring. In the fall, we had Andre coming in and we have the battle royals. Mm-hmm. So, in St. Paul, we got this place sold out. And in the match, it ends up there's I don't know, three or four or five people left in the ring. And Hogan and Andre happened to back up and back into each other. And they turned and looked at each other, and the people just went dead silent. And, like, a, what's gonna happen? And my dad said, Shit. So he called Vince McMahon senior mm-hmm. and he said, I'd like to have Andre back here for the whole month of February. Mm-hmm. And Vince senior said, okay. Yeah. So now we go through the battle Royals and it's uh, end of November. And our last one is in Phoenix and Andre and Hogan are going to Japan. And Andre was real being a real ass that night to everybody. I've never seen him like that. We all oh, said, what was wrong with him? He was mean to everybody. I yeah. mean, to the point where he wanted to stay away from him. Yeah. And so before Hogan left, he cut all his interviews for Christmas week. We had Minneapolis, Denver, Chicago, Milwaukee, San Francisco. Uh, we had our six major cities, Winnipeg, major cities going. And we had him and mostly in six-man tag team matches, uh, some single matches. Um, So he cut all his interviews. Mm -hmm. We put him in the show. On December 19th, 
Now we're going for February, Andre and Hogan in all our major cities. In April, and nobody knew this, but Vern and I, and we were sworn to secrecy. Yeah. CBS wanted to put on their network Hogan versus Bachwinkle in April. Oh, wow. And after that, if it went well, starting in the fall, we would have one a month on network TV. Wow. But we couldn't tell anybody. They didn't want it out. So Hogan leaves Phoenix with Andre, and they get on the plane to go to Japan. Mm -hmm. And who's on the plane with them but Vince McMahon? Junior. Yep. Yeah. So we come back. And on December 21st, in our first big match, we ran Christmas week, Christmas to uh, New Year's uh, to the New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. All our places are sold out ahead of time. Yeah, Hogan's done all those interviews. December 21st, we get a, a telegram from Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. My dad was good friends with Eddie Graham, and they were always playing jokes on each other. And the letter said. Hey, this is Hulk Hogan. I'm not coming back. And my dad said, frickin' Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) She threw it away. Yeah. We'll get to Christmas night, Minneapolis. Hogan doesn't show up. And I call him at home. He's in Minneapolis. I said, hey, what are you doing? Well, I've signed with New York. And I said, well, you know, that's fine that you want to do that. Yeah. But don't be like some other guys and don't fulfill your, fulfill your commitment and then yeah. go. Yeah. And I couldn't tell him about the CBS thing. Right. He said, well, Vince is going to pay me more than I'd make there. I said, Hulk, I said, just for business purposes, don't do that. Yeah. Fulfill your commitment. You're committed to the, uh, to January 1st, mm-hmm. then go. Yeah. But don't do that. It'll give you bad name with all the other promoters. You know, we didn't know what was going on with McMahon. At right. The he didn't know the deal. Yeah. But he, he didn't show up. And then we didn't get, didn't get Andre for February and we didn't get our CBS thing because of that. Uh, and, I, and I saw him not too long ago and we were yeah. talking we at a WWE event. He said, why didn't you tell me? I said, I was sworn to secrecy. Yeah. CBS didn't want it out. They wanted to make a big, freaking announcement about it. Yeah. They didn't want it leaking out. We yeah. were sworn to secrecy. And that was even before social media was there around. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know. Do you think that if he knew he would have stayed? He would have stayed. Well, he loved yeah. it. He told me that on the phone again. I mean, he told me in, in Florida, and then he told me here, he said, Jesus, you know, yeah. if you don't, I said, I couldn't. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, and your dad and I, you know, we had our friction. I said, yeah, but you have friction with Vince too. Yeah. I said, you know, you just worked that out. Yeah. I said, he couldn't tell you. Yeah. And you were bugging him about what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And we had already had it all set out what you were going to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it just trust us. I mean, you never trusted anybody, but you trusted us. And right. then at that one point, all of a sudden you trust McMahon. I mm-hmm. said, you know what? It, it, it's, it's what it is. And it's yeah. the way it was meant to be. So, you know what? There's no hard feelings here. I mean, there well, is. That's good. But, yeah, but, yeah, there is a little bit of sure but, resentment. No, but, you know, you got to let it go. I don't. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. I mean, 
I said, you know, look where you're at. I mean, yeah. you know, you did well for yourself. He did. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what counts. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's very yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. One more question. And then, really? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Then I, I hope you, I hope you get, I'm going to give you Brenzel's number then. Okay, great. I love right. it. Yeah, he, so the last question. Some other guys, and the more yeah. you book up, you'll have more people for your podcast than me. People get tired of this. No, no. I'm telling you, this has been great. I, I've really, truly enjoyed this. And I know I've had, I've looked at my numbers. I've had about 15 from the first one. And a couple of my friends have uh, messaged me on, on Facebook or text message and said, hey, it was it was great. You know, he he sounds great. He's, you know, you don't sound hesitant. You're always consistent with what you're saying. Even in other podcasts that I've listened to or, or watched, mm-hmm. you're always consistent. You don't, and there's other guys that flip flop and, and, and do different, you know, say different things to different people. You've always been consistent. You don't, there is no BS. There's no nothing. And I appreciate that. So, well, you don't know. There could have been a lot of BS in there. Well, you hide it well then. <laughs> no, I always told, I always was taught, you know, be up front, tell everybody, the, you know. Yeah. You got to tell it the way you see it and yeah. the way it was. Right. And don't exaggerate and don't, you know, be honest with people. And that yeah. was my dad's biggest philosophy. And that was one of his weaknesses, I guess. He was too honest with people. Well, he's honest, but he's also, you know, you and your dad and that company, in my eyes, and a lot of people's eyes that were around in that era, you guys worked your butts off and you put on a great show. And it wasn't just a show. It was sportsmanship. It was, you know, competition. Nowadays, you know, those guys, they put on a show, you know, they – I mean, it's okay, but it's not the same as it was. And that's why I think a lot of people it's are... It's not a story, you know? Right. There's no, there's no storyline to it. Wrestling, wrestling is, is, is like a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ray Stevens used to tell me, you know, if you're going to throw a punch or something, throw it in slow motion. Not really, but so the people can react to it. If right. things go too quick, they can't react to anything. Right. And that's what you see now. It's just boom, 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 boom. And the people are just sitting on, on their hands because they can't react to anything. And they're not really into the individual where they're living and dying by them. Right. You know, that's what the football and baseball players would say. Jesus, you guys, we go to these events and you guys are more popular than us. <laughs> well, we're on TV every day, every week and we're in our trunks. And I mean, they see all of us yeah. and they, they, get to know our personalities. Yeah. You guys are under the helmets. You don't get interviewed. The baseball players are in uniforms, the hockey players, you don't they you don't build a relationship with the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no, where not. they can physically and mentally get into your personality. Yeah. Then they're either cheering for you, living and dying with you, or they hate the hell out of you. <laughs> you know, and and <laughs> You know, there's people that didn't like me too. I mean, people said, well, geez, you get booed. I said, well, you know what? It's different folks have different, yeah. different people, different personalities that they like. Yeah, definitely. They're not going to, not everybody's going to like you and not everybody's going to hate you. Right. Yeah. Some people like Nick Bachwinkle, but the majority of them hated him. 
you know, yeah. Bobby Heenan, they hated him, but deep down they liked him. Yeah. You know? yeah. They liked him because they, they loved to hate him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. One last question. What are you up to now? I know you're retired, but do you have any hobbies or anything that you've been doing or working? Right now, I can't projects? do shit with this back of mine. I used to play <laughs> golf quite a bit. I haven't played now in three years. It's driving me crazy. Oh well, um, when you get better, and hopefully the surgery goes well, and and I drive up through there, uh, we can play some golf if you're. If I hope. So. I hope I can play again. I, I, at my age, it's going to be a little tough. They said to come back yeah. from this one. Yeah. But we'll see. I like to go fishing. Yeah. I took my daughter up to Canada last year. Ah. she's i got three kids right uh, jp gail and pete mm -hmm. and she loves the fish so we went up just the two of us after my wife passed away we thought it'd be a nice vacation yeah and uh uh we had a contest uh, who was going to catch the most first day it was 10 bucks i lost that <laughs> and we got up to the, the next day it was uh uh i forget what it was but she won that one the third day it was who got the biggest so we're out. I get the first fish. Two minutes later, she gets one. And then I get one. And mine's, mine was about, uh, it was 20, 27 and a half inches. Oh, wow. Probably about seven, eight pound walleye. Wow. Not even two minutes later, she pulls one. And it's 29 and a half inches. <laughs> it's about nine or 10 pounds. And that was a $100 bet. So she, she ended up making like 100, 150 bucks from me over the weekend. <laughs> but she loved it. We had a good time. So those are the things I like to do. And I, I like to, I work out. I usually have three days in the gym. So I spend a, anywhere from two to three hours at the gym, you know, oh, do my funny. rehab and then I do my workout and pool and whirlpool and then look at all the pretty girls up there and thinking, God, I wish <laughs> I was, I wish I was about 28 or 32 again. The bodies are phenomenal and the outfits they wear. <laughs> oh. I still talk to them, but you know, yeah. Hey, baby, how you doing? Hey, yeah. how about the old guy here? <laughs> it was funny because one day they had an event at the at the Lifetime Fitness, and the gal that does my rehab, she said, "Hey, would you mind?" She said, "We got Halloween coming up, and all everybody's going to dress up as a wrestler. Would you, would you mind giving um, our trainers and our employees, you know, like a ten minute little talk?" Mm -hmm. I said, sure. So I ended up doing an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought pictures up and brought the belt and they had pictures taken with it. And I got, and all, I ran out of pictures, all of them for myself here. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, take care of yourself. Seriously. We'll do it, Brian. Good, good luck with Thanks your surgery. Again. Well, good luck with the podcast. I hope it goes well for you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Take some time to build. So, uh, yep. And you're the first one. And yeah. Got 15 people already. Holy shit. I've never wrestled before anybody that small before. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are something right, new, buddy. right? Will do. All right. All right. Take care. You, you too. Thanks, Thank Brian. You. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.